0: Hello and welcome back to the Handstand Cast with me, Emmett Lewis. And unfortunately, my co-host Mikhail Christiansen is on holidays this week. If you are following his Instagram, you can see we were meant to run a retreat in this place called Tada in Turkey earlier this year. Or no, literally at this time right now. But uh, obviously due to the ongoing uh, political, political, the ongoing pandemical situation, uh, we are a bit uh, not running that retreat, which is fine, but uh, Mikhail decided to go over there and now he is becoming a builder, basically building the huts and helping them with their infrastructure and stuff like that, so he's gone, but who cares because you have me, so uh, I'll just fill in Mikhail's role tonight and go, hey Emmett, how's things going this week? Well, thank you for asking Mikhail. Uh, this week, actually pretty good. It's not like Infinite Wednesday because I got a puppy during the week, so I'm quite happy that we have Albus the Dumbledog is now part of the family. Uh, Albus the Dumbledog? Albus Dumbledog. Anyway, you get what we're going out. We're going with a bit of a Harry Potter team on this, and he's pretty shaggy. So, uh, yeah, I have basically tons of fun, and I am bitten to pieces. And generally he's all around great, but he's a puppy, which means at about 6 o'clock it is hyper time. And that continues till about 10. Anyway, uh, enough about my puppy. So today I am going to have a topic, I swear I do, I have a topic based on community. And it's a bit of a a how-to and a manifesto, I suppose. And, you know, it's kind of one of these things that it's... I think about this a lot, oddly enough. It's one of those things that I'm always kind of pondering is communities and subcultures and context and subcultural groupings and how these th- kind of things form. And it's something like we as the handstand community, uh, that basically doesn't include anyone who listens to this podcast because you are invested in handstands, but the greater handstand community as well kind of presents shows and sets ourselves up. And... It's this kind of thing that, uh, how do describe it? In in this, we need different layers and different strata to have a community. And it's kind of one of those things to stop handstands as a, it's an emerging discipline, let's face it. It was a performance art. It still is. It is used in the context of different disciplines, gymnastics, yoga, acrobatics. But it is also beginning to become its own thing. Like it is just as like bouldering was a subset of climbing, and now bouldering is possibly even bigger than climbing, particularly in, I suppose, the terms of facilities used and stuff like this, you will have the same thing with hand balance, that hand balance has the potential just because, let's just face it, at the level, there's no matter where you're starting, there's somewhere you can train. There is some level you can get involved in and learn to handstand. If that's just I want to be able to do a 10-second handstand, Awesome. If that's like I want to be able to do the highest levels of one arms and all this stuff, awesome. And everything from in between there, there's a place for someone. So taking handstands out of its context, like, oh, I don't want to do tumbling and other stuff. I don't want to do gymnastics. I just want to do handstands. That's cool. Oh, I have no interest in performing. Oh, that's cool. You know, I have... What is the other one? I have no interest in performing but then I train handstands for a couple of years and I go actually I want to turn this into more of an art form because it's given me an outlet for my creativity awesome so we kind of need to foster this idea that the community is inclusive and that means you know at every level it's like oh we can include no or sorry to clarify things we can include obviously diversity and all these kind of Things where we don't want to discriminate and look after these things. Obviously, that goes without saying. I would like to stay that now. But what I'm talking about is more that we, we want to find a place for everyone in the community that they can feel welcome and respected and open. These are the values of a good community. It's like, oh, you want to come be part of what we do? Well, we all stare at the floor, which is a bit odd. So we might as well have one more person to help swell our numbers. So we're a bit less odd. So this is what I'm looking for, or this is what I think we should be aiming for. How does this actually happen in practice? Well, I actually have a bit of a model for everyone that I'm going to share. That uh, It's kind of, it's very weird. It comes from the juggling community and the juggling and object manipulation community. And it comes from their successes and a bit of their failures. But it's very interesting just to see. So, in the juggling community, this is where I got kind of introduced to circus arts more so than, yeah, more so than like acrobatics, and I went in that way, even though I was doing stuff beforehand. In the juggling community, there is kind of a hierarchical, almost splinter cell organization, all strata. Starting at the lower level of the local juggling clubs or meetups, these will generally take two forms. So you'll have a formal and an informal meetup. A formal meetup will be when someone either rents a hall or a training space and says okay between here and here at these times turn up uh, people will be juggling now this could be in the form of a club so we could have a handstand club and one of the advantages of having the club set up is the club can slowly accrue funds and buy equipment so this could be one of these things where you're like oh slowly we will start getting equipment as part of the club. The club is a social club as much as anything else, so it is fulfilling this kind of need that, oh, we have some hands-on tables, we have some people there, and we, you know, have some stuff you can go on. We have some outings, we have some meetups, some barbecues, whatever. All these kind of things that can go into a club. Generally in the juggling society, then... The idea of them a lot of them are run in tangent with universities. Universities generally have quite good social functions, but there's no reason you can't have them outwards and other places they are kind of separate. So this would be our formal meetup or this would be our informal, formal meetup. Generally at these meetups, there's no formal teaching. There generally can be stuff for complete noobs who know nothing, but generally the teaching is quite like oh, you see someone doing something, you go, oh, how do I do that? Or where do I get started? And they'll go, oh, you need to be able to do this, this, and this. Or you need to try this. Or have you tried this? Or sometimes the clubs can get teachers in to guest and go, okay, we've got such and such coming in to teach this. And they're going to focus on tuck handstand. Or it can be set up in the group that part of your responsibility is one of the older members is to coach the younger members for 20, 30 minutes and get them started. It's very informal. The advantage of this is it's it's a very flexible thing. It's like, oh, who's there? You get to meet a lot of people. People are all kind of training the same thing. The disadvantages of this kind of setup is there's no formal teaching structure. It is kind of like, ask around, see what's going on, try to teach yourself a bit. And that works quite well to a certain degree. And it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. The informal level of the meetup is when someone, you know, you could organize, I don't know, I don't really use Facebook anymore, local area groups or other stuff where you could go, oh, you get to know people on Instagram. And this is how I met some of my really good friends. Uh, Andy Myers' shout-out, Anthony Claffey, Vincent V in Dublin, is that we got to know each other kind of on Instagram, and we just met up, and we just had a bit of an informal meet-up where we'd just go, oh, let's be here at this time, and let's do some training. And then it progressed into some, one of the next levels I'll talk about. But, uh, this idea of just having somewhere that has a bit of continuity. Now, for example, in Dublin, there is probably not at the moment, but generally during summers, there is basically once summer starts, there is a park that everyone knows to go to that on Tuesday clock, Tuesday at between basically once work finishes five to nine o'clock. If you're into circus, juggling, acrobatics, acro yoga, partner balancing, all these kind of things, just turn up in the park and people will be there training and everyone's quite welcoming. So it's very, once again, informal. You'll have people stopping by after work, hanging out. You'll have people who are there to do some serious training. You'll have a bit of everything, but it's kind of just nice just to be around and go, oh, let's try something else out. So having this one where it's like, okay, it's a set time. And you know to turn up. And you turn up at this. And everyone slowly gets to know each other. And it's quite nice. And then it's also like people get interested. They see you. Or they go, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're doing handstands. Oh, I tried to do handstands as a kid. Oh, cool. We're here every week. Oh, but by the way, there's also this other club. Oh, by the way, which we'll get to now in a second, classes, such and such teaches a class on Wednesday night. You should check it out oh, I didn't know there were such classes. These are the kind of conversations that would be going on, just to give you an example. So it gives a kind of an almost advertising and a statement that like, oh, we exist as a thing and that you can do, you know. And that's kind of interesting. And it's always interesting for people just to go, you know, let's say for myself, if I say, oh, what do you do? I coach handstands. People are like, oh, what do you mean? Gymnastics They're like, no, no, I coach handstands. This is basically what I do full time. You're like, I didn't know you could do that. You know, and it it is it is a thing. Like we have to kind of make a thing that, like, oh no, it hands is just a thing you can do. It's an art form, it's a physical practice, it's a meditative practice. It is, it's its own community, it has its own things. It has its own subcultural definitions and boundaries and stuff like this. So this is really kinda of interesting. The next kind of level, these are kind of at the informal, one formal, so informal, formal, and formal, informal, informal. To I get that right? Anyway, you know see what I'm getting at. Uh, is the kind of more formal setup. A more formal setup would be, I would have the idea that there is a structure, a hierarchy, and generally a means of value exchange. Uh, what I mean by this is generally a paid class or a paid meetup. So a paid class, obviously you are someone who is coaching handstand and you have decided I'm competent enough to teach a group of 20, 20 people, 10 people, 5 people, 3 people. So I will run a class and I will say my class will start at this time and it will finish at this time and you will pay for your 6-10 week term up front or cash on the door, whatever you want to do, Talk to yourself to decide. and the teacher gets paid, the teacher can make a living. And the students will be more agreed upon to teach, to be taught, to be assessed and taught. And this is this is where the, the object manipulation community kind of failed in some ways, but the flow community took over. In that there was kind of quite a big thing about not paying for tuition in juggling and object manipulation and just kind of getting it for free. And it's really cool. It's very hippie, but it's very cool. But at the same time, you're not guaranteed you're getting an education. You have to figure out a lot of it yourself. And this suits some people. Obviously, some people like teaching themselves and figuring things out themselves. And other people, maybe they're not confident or maybe not. Maybe they just need, you know, they need more handholding, need more assistance, or they just want to go, okay, I'm definitely getting what I need to work on. At the same time, starting with the class idea is we have the idea that a teacher can be paid. And I think this is very important. I think people who are teaching... Obviously, I have to say this because I am a teacher, but they should be paid for the work they put in. Obviously, offhand and informal teaching is fine and getting that kind of advice is good. But for a community to develop and thrive, there has to be kind of like some level where like people get paid for the work and they can actually say, oh, I'm a handstand coach. This is what I do. Just like you can be a tennis coach. Just like you can be a yoga teacher. Just like you can be whatever, climbing instructor. You can just be a handstand instructor. And it can just be a thing. And that, you know, it implies at a level of community that there's some kind of competence. And we're kind of not at that stage exactly in handstands where there's like, you know, maybe we don't want to be on that stage. But, you know, there's some like certificate that proves competence. But at the same time, the people who are interested in learning and earning their money and doing this will generally invest their time in either quality coaching with someone else, going to other meetups, going to other seminars, visiting coaches, buying courses, this stuff. So the people who are kind of invested in that way, they will generally look after their own education. But at the same time, they obviously rely on support and classes and opportunities to teach handstands. And without students, there is no such thing as a teacher. So it's a two-way symbiotic relationship in some way. The other type of community get-together on the paid side would be the the formal meetup. And what the formal meetup is, the model I would use for this would be the very first one as far as I know, would be handstands and coffee held by Andy Myers in the movement studio in Dublin. He started that probably about seven or eight years ago at this stage, where every Saturday morning after they finished their classes with their gym members, they would have a handstand and coffee meetup. And it started out very informal. Like the very first ones, I was going down and just teaching for free because I knew more than the guys there. And I was like, okay, well, these guys are cool. I'll just you know teach the class. They can learn. We can learn. I'll hang out. All good. And it then it slowly turned into that there was word got around. There was a handstand meetup. And then it became like people who couldn't handstand or wanted to learn would start coming. So then there was kind of a formal structure got imposed that there was, while it was a meetup, while there was a good bit of freedom, there was still, an aspect of like teaching. So Andy will now, because he's mainly the person running it, so does Vincent, they'll have a group warm up, So everyone will warm up together and kind of get a bit of preparation together. Then generally the groups will kind of be split off into whatever kind of levels show up. So it's not a beginner's class, it's not an intermediate class, it's not an advanced class, it's whoever shows up. And then whoever shows up will do handstands and drink coffee. Which is very important to the process, as we know, because if your hands aren't shaking, how are you going to stand on them? Uh, So we have that idea, and it's kind of interesting because it could be some weeks there's like, you know, there's twenty people there or fifteen people, whatever it is, uh, half of them complete beginners, and then the next week it's fifteen people again, and there's two beginners and everyone else is quite advanced. So this kind of informal formal structure is quite interesting in that it gives people a kind of chance to meet up, meet with other people, have some coffee. It also kind of fosters a chance for people to kind of get into a semi-mentored situation with learning to coach. Because if you're running this and there's your kind of regular members coming and you kind of get them go like, okay, I'm a coach. I want some other people to be coaches or I want to scout them or they've asked me. Well this kind of informal class where there's not like an onus for like, okay, we will assess, prepare and everything. We're kinda we're delivering and undelivering. It's kinda like I'd almost think this is the equivalent of going to a club. You got your dance class, you learn all your cool funky dance moves, and then you go to a club to dance. Not exactly the same, but you can see what I'm getting at. Do clubs still exist? That's my next question. Uh anyway. Yeah. Or am I showing my age? Anyway, uh, yeah, so you have this kind of structure that on the formal kind of layer. So we have an informal, what has formal and informal, and then we have a formal that has a formal and informal structure. And understanding these kind of things and getting them set up is, once again, very important, or I feel, because the people who come to the classes, you might do you know a six-week, a 12-week term of handstands, And then you go, oh wait, everyone goes and meets up on a Tuesday in handstands, so I'll have another chance to do my handstands and I can meet other people. And that kind of gives you, it's almost like when you go to a climbing gym. Uh, Not a lot, but some climbing gyms have a rule that you have to take the safety course first before you can use the gym. So you have to go on the course, you have to learn how to belay, you have to learn how to set up ropes, you have to tie off, you have to check harnesses, and you do that for four, six, seven, eight, nine evenings, whatever it is. And then you're allowed to climb properly by yourself unsupervised in the gym, so it's almost the same idea. You see this in pole studios as well. I think pole studios have got it right. If we look at, say, when I was when I was studying circus in London, pole dance was just becoming a thing, and pole dance it was kind of like it was made the papers like, oh, these are they strippers or not? Blah blah blah, and kind of like playing on the raunchy aspect of like this, but obviously they were trying to downplay it. But from this and I'm not certain on the origins of this community too much but uh, pole dance now if you look at it, it has become mega and uh, I'm very proud of what they've done not that I had anything to do with it but I'm just it's fantastic to see that like a fringe activity that was kind of CD CD reputation or seen as like oh and strippers and all this has honestly like claim itself as a sport a health and fitness practice, a art form, a, what else have they done? Loads of stuff. And they've just been really good at it. And then if you look at all the people, like there's pole studios that are set up that just do pole dance, maybe some aerial, they teach beginners. The beginners, I noticed like my cousins are both pole dance instructors and they went from circus family, eh? Uh, They went from like doing classes to becoming instructors through one of the studios in Dublin. And it's kind of fantastic to watch the studio as well. It started by a Brazilian girl. Okay, Brazilian or Venezuelan? I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head. and oh, That's terrible. But, uh, yeah, she set up her studio, set up her business in Ireland and came over and was teaching. Uh, she's really good. Really, really good, actually. She's a machine. Lisette, if anyone knows the whole world. Uh, yeah. And she's kind of gone from strength to strength with getting, like, bigger and bigger studios and more and more people employed. This is really cool. It's a good example of how a weird subculture, oh, you're pole dance, you dance in nightclubs, oh, it's all a bit weird. What would your boyfriend think to, hold on, we have gyms all around the place, we have competitions, we have social structure, we have community meetups, we have ways for people to start out as a complete beginner and to slowly become a professional, either teaching, performing, all these kind of things. And it's a very good, it's inspirational, basically, to see what's come from this community. So just bear that in mind. And it's kind of one of the things that like circus tries to do but doesn't in some ways. And I've seen this a lot where it's like, oh, there's kind of, you know, people want to kind of, you know, there's a lot of like talking down the pole dance world for commercialization. And in some ways, you know, in some ways maybe they're right in some aspects, but in general what they've done is great. So let's just keep this in our mind. And if you're interested in like, Just look into what has happened in pole dancing in your area or what's happened in the last 10 years. So with this idea of local level meetups, there has to be kind of like international level meetups as well. And there has to be kind of, I suppose, meetups where you can go somewhere else outside your town or possibly in some different bit of your country. And once again, we need these other kind of Formal and an informal level. At the formal level is when you say, oh, ex-coach is in a city close to me. I'll get a quick flight over and I'm going to go do the workshop for a weekend. You know, Yuri Marmerstein, fantastic coach who's on the workshop. Yuval is, you know, doing a workshop and it's two hours away. So I'll take a trip over the weekend. I'll book in for the workshop and I will get, you know, 15, 16 hours of direct tuition with this person and I'll learn from them. Depending on the level of your skill at, like for myself, when I go to a workshop or do a course or whatever, like for me, if I pay five, six hundred quid for a course and I learn one thing, it's great. It's total value for money for me just because I coach. And if I learn one good point, even if it's a good tip on deadlift or something, I'll be able to use that with like 100 people, 200 people over the next couple of years and it gives me value for money that way. Other people, now you might just find if you're a solo practitioner, you might find, oh I didn't learn that much or I just reconfirmed what I was doing already. That's cool, it confirms that you're doing the right thing. Confidence is confidence. The other side is the social side. You get to suddenly meet all the other people who are super enthusiastic about the activity to the point where they also flew into this town or they organized for Yuri to come visit or Mikhail to come visit or me to come visit. And they kind of have this community, we're going like that. So suddenly we have our local community is beginning to make branches to the other local community. What do we have when we have more connections? We have stronger stuff. Simple. I don't know, it sounds very simple, but we have a stronger sense of community, both local and worldwide. And this is what community is about. It's about connection at the end of the day. It's about meeting up and meeting new people and sharing weird things that you can't share with them, and inner jokes and all this. So you get to do this on the international level, and that's how we get like our handstand memes. Shout out to handstand memes as well. I know you're listening. Uh, anyway, we... Yeah, so this is how we get a kind of cross-cultural pollination, cross-social grouping pollination. So this is kind of, this thing gets interesting. It's like, okay, cool. I've gone I've gone to see Yuri. He's basically told me my training is pretty good, and I didn't pick up anything new, but now I have a new confidence from him telling me, okay, you're doing everything right. You just need to keep working on it. Boom, Or you learned a shit ton of new things that you've never seen before. Awesome. But at the same time, you have also gone out and spent a weekend with people doing the same thing, hopefully gone for some lunches, some dinners, and forging a stronger relationship. Uh, these kind of things are also important because it means that if your community is just growing you're like that so you know you're the person who's doing teaching the classes or wants to teach them or runs a group. Oh, you went over, you learned a whole new tips. you can come back and enrich the community. so there is this kind of idea of sharing and teaching as well. Obviously, there has to be some confidence and competence and all these things. We'll talk about that some other time. But it is sharing. It is kind of keeping it. At the same time, you could also be the person who organizes the person to come visit. You know, if you have a coach you're really into or, you know, goes for any discipline as well, not just handstands. If you just send them a message, go, hey, would you really like to come to my city? Uh, How can we make this work? What do you need? Most of them, once we're allowed to travel again, will totally be up for it. So, you know, reach out to those people you like. You know, even if they're small people. Even if they're small people, they'll be even more delighted. Like, oh, you know, coach with 2,000 followers. Reach out to them and see. hey, do you want to come? Or you find a performer you're really into. You know, oh, I'm really into X. I've seen their act in Cirque. Reach out to them. and Say, hey, do you want to come teach for a weekend? Loads of them would love to do this. So, it can be and it can be like a lot of the workshops I do the seminars people just go hey I don't suppose you'd be interested in doing this and most of the time, we say yes if if we can logistically make it work we say yes so you know there is that kind of thing don't be scared to reach out so at the next level of the kind of international meetups is we need the kind of how to describe it retreat and also convention a retreat and a convention are two different things. A retreat, a retreat for me, it's not like a yoga retreat where are like, oh, you're going to go to the beach and eat healthy. It's more like intensive training. So you go somewhere and you will do intensive training for a period of time. Generally five days, sometimes ten days, sometimes even for a period of a couple of weeks or five, six weeks even. I know uh, in DOC in Sweden, they do a five or six week intensive hand balancing training with uh, Yuri. So... Anyway, uh, anyway, someone is there teaching it, and uh, not you. I'm an idiot. They do it with uh, Sasha, obviously, Allah from the Sasha Classic, Mikhail's coach. So you get a period of time living in a different country, and you can train for five, six weeks, focusing just on your handballs. Awesome. At the same time, you also have our retreats or intensives, where you're like, okay, I'm going to go. X coach is running a retreat. And it's a period of time and it will generally cost you money. It's more like a holiday at the end of the day. It's a high ticket, high-ticket item most of the time. And you'll go there and you'll get coaching and the coach itself will be able to like really assess you, really get into the details of your training that might not occur in a weekend workshop or a class. Well, a structured class hopefully would, but this kind of thing. So you like get some time, you also get to hang out with people, forge some friendships, possible relationships. All these kind of things that persist, like we still have, from our retreats, we still have memes and jokes and other stuff and groups going on from these retreats. So it's still, you know, they're still really good. Obviously they can be expensive, but at least the next level, the convention. Now, a lot of people in the handstand world don't really... They're not from the circus community. Uh, One of the things the circus, and particularly, once again, the juggling community does, is runs conventions. Conventions are generally run by volunteers. They are generally run as non-profits, or ploughback profits to keep them running each year. And what they do is they provide a weekend. So, an example, I'll talk about a bigger one in a minute. So, generally they're in different cities, and they provide weekend, and... If it's a circus convention, there'll generally be a setup. up There'll be mats, there'll be a training hall. There'll be a, generally, there's two, always two halls, an object manipulation hall and an acrobatics hall to kind of keep things separate. Obviously, because you just don't want objects running over you when you're tumbling and stuff like this. But generally, a lot of them are run at close to cost. They're very reasonably priced, and they have been going quite a long time. So if you're looking up the circus community or the circus conventions or juggling conventions they also generally have an acrobatics component their generally yoga is quite strong in these communities and so is handstands and a lot of people are quite good at them so going along to these you will also get to meet people because everyone's there to do their weird hobby and that's kind of cool at the same time in there's generally a social program that will go on there is generally a show or maybe a couple of shows over the course of the weekend so you get to see some cool shows. Generally up and coming circus artists are at the lower level ones. And so you see some very cool inventive stuff that you might not see elsewhere. And at the same time, you get to spend the weekend away for quite reasonably priced. And yeah. At the higher level of the convention is you have in Europe the European Juggling Convention. In America, you have the International Juggling Convention. It's international because I think they were in Canada once. But a uh, classic American thing. And we have the European Juggling Convention. These conventions have been running for a very long time. I think the American one has been running since 1953. The European Juggling Convention is 40-something years old. And what these provide is a longer kind of space. So a normal kind of circus convention might be a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. A The EGC or the IJA, or IJC, International Juggling Association runs the International Juggling Convention, just to clear it up. You generally will go for a week. The European Juggling Convention, which I've been to more, in fact I've never been to the IJ, please invite me to host your renegade. Uh, yeah, so the European Juggling Convention is generally nine days long, sometimes ten. You, The cost of this convention would generally be about €150, Euros, sometimes a bit less. And you will camp outside. Be, it's basically like, imagine a music festival, but instead of everyone taking drugs and dancing, everyone's taking drugs and doing juggling. No, not everyone. But you will have generally acrobatics. You will generally have a formal, a semi-formal set of workshops will run at this convention where anyone who wants to run a workshop can run one or a mini-seminar or whatever. What this means is because there's a general feeling of openness and sharing in these communities, you can literally be having workshops with some of the best who have ever been in their respective disciplines, teaching for you know an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever. And you know, you get this across all disciplines. You'll get this in aerial, you will get this in juggling, ball juggling, handstands, etc., flexibility, contortion, whatever's going on. Literally more like because I'm not speaking to the circus audience so I can tell you all these things people you're like what's that Dapo star never heard of that what's this Bougain? never heard of whatever but uh, yeah you get a lot of that on top of it for your price of admission you will generally get there will be shows and sometimes multiple shows every day and what's cool about these shows is one that open stage so you get to see people who this is very welcoming anyone who can perform or wants to perform will generally be allowed to perform So you will get some people, it's literally their first time performing and they have an act and they're really proud to show it off. Amazing. And, you know, let's face it, it's kind of, you know, if it's your first act, it's going to generally be a disaster. But they will be supported and given kind of amazing applause because everyone has, or not everyone, but most of the people in the audience understand where they're at. At the same time, you will also see people who are literally the best that have ever been in whatever they're doing or have invented something completely new at the open stage showing this off. You will also have shows where it's more formal, where like, you will have a circus company, for example, will turn up and do you know do their full show, or they will have circus artists do their other one, or their other one, do uh, their act format shows in a kind of gala show. And also at the same time, once again, back to community, you'll meet uh, at the European Juggling Convention four to 7,000 people most years, and uh, you'll get to meet 47,000 to 7,000 people. And you can forge communities. You'll also find, oh, there was a group of weirdos in my community that I didn't know about. And cool, now we have more weirdos. Now we have more people who want to come to our classes, our meetups, and this kind of thing. Or, you know, I'll have like a 1,000 couches to sleep on when I want to start touring around Europe. Or, you know, whatever. You get this idea. So we can see that We kind of go from a very small, informal, informal setup to something that's kind of big and moves around. And this is kind of what's interesting, that we can have this idea of community permeating all kind of levels. And it's kind of one of these things, like particularly, I suppose, everyone's been, you know, everyone, but a lot of people have been in quite a lockdown situation now. And we're all sort of hopefully coming out of this and passing this kind of phase. And we can tell everyone, oh, I remember the chrono? was so crazy. But people are going to be looking for social outfits, People are starving for this. I noticed from talking to my clients, my friends and everything. It's like, oh, can there be a meetup arranged? Can you arrange something along these lines? Could you start a new class? You know, could you start an informal meetup? Oh, we'll do that. You know, starting something when it hasn't been done before, can take a while. It can take a while to get going, particularly these kind of informal, informal meetups. Until word gets around, you kind of have enough people in the community who know about it and go, oh, Sunday afternoon, let's go to the park and do some juggling. Awesome. This kind of thing will build. And this kind of thing will slowly define hand balance as a, as a distinct thing and not a subset of something else. It's like, oh, no, what do you train? Oh, you must do so much yoga for that. No, no, I train hand balance. What's that? Oh, I do handstands. I do all the things that go into it. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Basically. So we have this idea of community. And like what I'd start urging people to go, you know, could you organize one? Could you organize a group of three friends and say, okay, let's uh, let's do this. Let's get some handstand boards. Let's cut some planks up. And we'll be in a park. We'll do handstands and be open to people going, oh, I've never done that before. Well, here's a tree. Would you like to do an incline body drill? Oh, I have a class running at the same time. Here's some flyers for it. You know, it's kind of quite self-fulfilling in some ways. Or self-fulfilling. It can be self-building, and it will take some time to nurture, but then slowly it will get somewhere. And that will be kind of interesting. I'd be kind of quite interested in seeing, you know, five, six years' time, oh, hand balance, oh, there's cool, there's a whole network of handstand clubs that you can go to. Uh, what's really interesting, because of this kind of setup, in the in particular in the juggling world, but a lot of the object manipulation world, the people who perform, who you would expect, like in sports, say the people who perform their sports in front of an audience are generally the best. They're the best at whatever level, and even if they're not winning, they're still better than you and I, generally. In the juggling and object manipulation world, it's the reverse. The people who are performing are generally not as good as the amateurs. And that's kind of interesting. It's like, obviously, the performers have other things to work on performance skills, performativity, all these kind of things. Uh, but, and you know, performing and entertaining people is a different skill than just pure technical object manipulation. But at the same time, because of this structure, because there is this kind of community on juggling who just do it for the sake of doing it, the the skill level has exploded and it's just on an almost vertical level of technical ability. And it kind of went from the same idea of like juggling and object manipulation, like at the time of the vaudeville era it was one of the highest paid professions going in that kind of scene. It was quite well paid it was quite thing everyone was quite secretive over their arts but then we got this kind of open sharing and people were able to rapidly prototype and kind of get things going then at the same time because people were testing things out and trying other stuff the skill level when i basically when i started juggling is when it's sort of the the birth of the internet and things exploded from that way uh, now like what was we're talking about this in podcast? what was like the peak of stuff when i was doing it it's just like, that is your base level. And, you know, this is where it gets to. And it kind of, this could be like hand balance. I don't think, like, I know we say this a lot. I think in terms of maybe technical, precise balancing, it kind of, there is a skill cap there, obviously built on your side. But in terms of creativity, and this is where juggling goes, is like, oh, this whole, I remember like a few years ago, there was a, a trend a few years ago, one ball juggling, but not contact juggling. What could you do with one ball? How could you make it interesting? This kind of questions and answers that get asked by a community kind of has pushed the technical thing. And people know, oh, if I want to pursue this technical thing, I just need to push my skill in this level. And if that's my desire, that's it. Same with juggling. It's like, oh, I just want to juggle numbers. I want to do more and more balls, more and more balls, more clubs, more everything. Awesome. Or I just don't want to ever do more than three or four. So you see this like in hand balance, like, oh, how can there be a community in the locale that can foster creativity? And I've kind of given the semi-structure of it. And this will, if it was enacted, if people kind of start saying, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be weird. And you're going to be the first person doing it in your locale. I know there's classes and stuff going on, but all the other kind of meetups and trying to go like, oh, can I build community? The interesting thing about the community builders is what I have noticed a lot is the people who are the community builders are generally not the people who are the most skillful at the activity. They just really like the activity, and they really like being the person who can network, and not even network, that's a wrong term there, can just uh, work and build, you know. It's kind of common, like at the European juggling conventions, like the people who do it don't really juggle that much, or they do as a hobby. It's not, a, it's not something they would do 20 or 30 hours a week, but they're the people getting shit done. And it's the same thing like if you're kind of listening in and going, oh, I'm not good enough to run this. It's like, well, actually you could be. It's not really about skill. It's about organizing. That's a very different skill. and It's very kind of – it's almost that kind of thing. If we look at, say, soccer clubs and sports clubs, like a lot of them just kind of have this network of mothers who who basically run everything behind the things. They're the people who are – Organizing the treasurer, you know, obviously there's some men involved as well, but there's also like who's washing the uniforms, who's packing the oranges, water, whatever. Now, maybe it's changed since sort of days when I was involved in these kind of things many, many years ago. But at the same time, there is kind of like a social hierarchy. Social hierarchy? No, that's the wrong word there. There's just kind of people who are involved in facilitating the activity who aren't actually really doing it, but just want their kids, in the case of soccer clubs, to be able to take part of it. The ones who will say in gymnastics who we have a parent has to supervise some of the sessions, so there's a parental supervision that has to be you know sign up for this and okay it's your turn to do this, and uh, this kind of thing. So what you could do to skip all this if you don't organize it is get your mother. Now you have to be careful because if your mother ends up like Kyle Pikers, she'll end up doing handstands and more into it than actually you know organizing. But if you go to your mother and said, oh mom. I know I'm 35 and I'm still living at home, but do you feel like organizing a juggling club for me, or a hands club? You could do that. Probably the wrong thing to do. But you'd see what I'm getting at. Because there is these things built up, that there is a community evolves around them, and the community begins to sustain itself. But at some same time in the past, someone's decided, oh, shit, we have to meet up. If you look at like the history of like a lot of the early football clubs, it's like, oh, we'd meet up on this place or... This local town was doing it So we got a group of people together to also go do it And You know, this is the kind of thing If you want to be braver and go Ah, I'll organise a movement convention Or a handstand convention Where I'll, you know Rent a sports hall for a weekend And I'll get people to come over Or maybe you might have seen that someone is running them I have seen some people are running them Brave to be running them right now But, you know You could go visit them. You could go, oh, let's get a road trip. My two weird handstand friends who are all I know who are really into handstand, not just going to classes. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's road trip. Let's go meet some people. Let's do some handstands. So I kind of think I've covered a lot here in this thing just to give you a hint of like what is to come or what could come. And, you know, these are all things that uh, maybe will foster some discussion. Maybe we'll move things in. Or maybe you'll just be like, shit, when's Mikhail back? I'm sick of listening, damn it. Either way, I'm going to wrap up here. And, uh, yeah, next week, we've got a surprise for you. Actually, Mikhail will be doing a solo show from his vacay. So uh, you have that to look forward to, other than my rambling. Other than that, thank you for listening to me. And we will speak again in two weeks. The Handstand Cast is brought to you by Handstand Factory and is produced by Motion Impulse. Thanks for tuning in you can find a full transcript of each episode along with the show notes and any relevant references on handstandfactory.com slash podcast. Thanks to Isaac for editing and Jordan for transcriptions. Music by Daniel Horworth. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com or consider starting one of our Handstand Factory online programs. Links are in the show notes.